Hey everybody, Ben Pikulski, Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Today I want to talk about breathing, breath work, metabolic disconnection, which is a direct reference from someone I look up to more than anyone in this industry, or more than most certainly, Brian McKenzie, who is the creator of Shift Adapt uh, and so many other things when it comes to breathing and performance. Brian's, if you're not already following him on uh, Instagram, on social media, he's got an incredible page. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the current state of breath work, what you need to know, what you must know, ultimately and why I think it's just an incredible lever that most people simply aren't paying attention to. As you've seen, or maybe you haven't seen, breath work has exploded in the last three years. Uh, no thanks, or special thanks, we'll say, to people like Brian McKenzie, Patrick McEwen, Peter Litchfield, all previous guests on the podcast. And everyone is modeling some version of them. Also, Wim Hof uh, has, has taken what's called tumor breathing and made it popular. Thank you, Wim. Uh, incredible stuff massive respect. Now, what I want people to know about breathing is Wim Hof, while an incredibly useful modality, is simply one type of breathing. And just like tools in a tool belt, you don't want to build a house, just a hammer. We want to learn how to use all those tools. And that's the point of today's podcast. So for those of you that don't know, I've been studying breath work for seven or nine years now, a long time. Uh, I took Brian McKenzie's course. I, I've taken uh, Patrick McEwen's courses. I've read everything by Peter Litchfield. I've actually written my own course for a specific certification out there, which I'm not allowed to mention, but it was an extensive course that will ultimately be released as well within the Muscle Intelligence community in the next six months or so. And the simple thing that I think everyone should understand about breathing above all is there's three important pillars, three important uh, aspects of breathing that everyone should know and must consider if ultimately your objective is performing at the highest level. And that's biomechanics, I think above all, so biomechanics is, is how breathing influences movement and how ultimately breathing causes movement and what that looks like in your body. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, biochemistry, so how breathing ultimately influences the, the, the ratio of oxygen and, car and carbon dioxide, as well as directly influences pH. People talk about diet influencing pH. Your diet does not influence your pH. Your breathing influences your pH. And the third one is cadence, and that's the duration of inhale, pause, duration of exhale, pause, and how that directly can influence your current state of arousal. So if you've ever been on any of my coaching calls within my coaching community, you'll know that one of the things I talk about, maybe more than the rest of everything else, is controlling your, your state of arousal. How do we create a peak state of arousal based on the need of the circumstance, the need of the situation, rather than allowing life to create your state of arousal, you enter the, the circumstance with the ideal state of arousal. Example, if I'm squatting, deadlifting, training, I don't want to be at the same level of arousal as if I'm reading a book to my daughter at night. I certainly don't want to be driving in the car and be the same state of arousal as if someone just cut me off and almost took my life. And I certainly don't want to stay there. If I do enter that state, I want to learn to, one, pay attention so that the, the root of all change is awareness. Two, have the tools in my tool belt to actually know how to take action because simply Thinking about getting out of stress, anxiety, and overwhelm doesn't solve the problem. We want to learn to ultimately uh, action, take action, right? We want to act and go, okay, what needs to happen right now for me to feel better, for me to feel at my best? And while you're in it, ladies and gentlemen, is not the time to start practicing your breath work. Just like when your children are in panic, freaking out, and overwhelmed, it's not a good time to tell them to learn to relax. It's a good time to teach them to implement the tools and the skills and habits you've you've taught them beforehand, 
implement them in the moment. And just like uh, children, adults also need to learn from themselves and say, hey, if you actually want to be effective in getting yourself out of anxiety, overwhelm, and stress, when you're in it, it's not the time to practice. Practice now. Practice every morning. One of the reasons that I took up yoga as much as I did was it was really hard for me. When I would go into a yoga class, it would be 100 degrees, uh, you know, a high yoga class, 100 degrees plus, and I'm, I'm sweating a lot and hard to breathe. My body's not getting the oxygen it wants, not because I can't, because I'm not fit enough at the time. And then saying, okay, now hold these poses for 10 breaths or five breaths and really slow breaths. And it was very difficult for me. That was the first kind of kick in the chest to say, hey, this is a really big opportunity. While I had heard people talk about breathing, I didn't understand how quickly and effectively breathing could get you out of stress, worry, anxiety, and overwhelm. Until I took my very first yoga class, I was, I think it was 2016. I was just retired from professional bodybuilding. I just competed in the 2016 Mr. Olympia. And I decided to take a hot yoga class. And I thought it was an hour. It was actually 90 minutes. Surprise, surprise. Thanks, Jamie, if you're listening. <laughs> um, and uh, it was hard. And so when I learned to sit with my breath, the mechanics of my breathing made themselves very apparent when something was hard. So if you've ever got yourself into a situation where you're squatting hard, maybe you're deadlifting, maybe you're doing a yoga class, maybe you're uh, doing any type of class where, or any type of workout where it's hard, like you're, you're physically challenging your aerobic capacity, your anaerobic capacity, you'll know really quickly what part of your body you're using to breathe. And if you're breathing in a shallow way up into the upper lobes of your lungs, into your chest, you're going to know very fast that your breathing is very limited. And you're going to be in panic and stress and overwhelm and probably significantly seeing a drop in performance quickly. So when I'm breathing up here into my chest, I have a limited capacity to breathe. Biomechanics is not effective when I'm breathing into my upper lo lobes of my lungs. I want to learn to use the, the lower lobes of the lungs, ultimately the diaphragm to expand down and laterally so I can most effectively use the lower lobes of, your lung, of my lungs where ultimately the greatest amount of gas exchange with the environment occurs. What that means is, even if you're walking, if you're sitting, try to engage your lower lobes of your lungs. Try to engage your diaphragm, breathe down into your lower pelvis and breathe laterally into the outer rib cage. So if you think of the lower ribs on the outside, they kind of work like a bucket handle, right? They kind of come up and down and up and down and the, one, the, the ribs in the front work like a pump handle like an old school water pump. That's how they, they are meant to function. They come, the ones on the sides come out like a bucket handle, like out and up and then down, out and up and then down. And so when you're learning to breathe, actually going through the exaggerated motion of this, this bucket handle and allowing yourself to breathe there with your hands and your sides is a really good way to just learn how to use your diaphragm, learn how to use these muscles of in, inspiration or in, inhalation and ultimately expiration or exhalation uh, is very, very important to long-term function. So why does this matter to you? You're sitting there being like, hey man, I'm not an endurance athlete. I'm not doing yoga class. I don't care. Yes, you do. Here's why. Have you ever had a back pain? Have you ever had tight hips? 
if you've ever wanted to improve your mobility and not lose muscle as you age, tight shoulders, you absolutely need to breathe. And so when we talk about breathing mechanics, while I tell you what it's supposed to feel like at its root, here's what it's influencing. So your ribs, as you breathe in, expand, as you exhale, contract, or come closer, get smaller, the circumference gets smaller. And that's literally the excursion of these muscles that exist between the ribs, these muscles that exist around the spine, ultimately the lats, the pecs, all these things are, are expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting. At a varying uh, excursion, depending on how deep you're breathing in both directions. Now, if my entire life is spent breathing in a very shallow way, very, very small amount of excursion in my breath, those muscles will probably start, start losing their capacity to really lengthen and shorten. And those muscles, as I literally say, are closing in, the walls are closing in around you. And if we lose those muscles' ability to expand or, or respond, ultimately we're going to start tightening up. The muscles around the rib cage will start to tighten up and the back will start to tighten up and then I can't get my hands above my head. Oh, geez, now I've got neck pain and headaches, all because I didn't breathe effectively. Yes, sir, ma'am, that's correct. 22,000 times a day on average is how many times we breathe, maybe less, maybe more. But either way, if it's even a little bit biomechanically ineffective, you're going to have dysfunction. Now, there's a lot of people out there now studying breathing at a really deep level. Some people saying that you breathe more into your right side than you do into your left side because of the, could have that backwards actually, into your left side more than the right side because of the, the organs, we have, we have a, uh, a dominance of organs on one side of the body. Some people actually have different, on different sides of the body, which is probably true. But we want, whatever it is, we want to learn to maintain the range of motion. Think of breathing excursion and breathing mechanics like stretching. I think of it like I need to learn to breathe all the way in and all the way out and all the way in and all the way out. And, I, and I'm, I'm training myself to get better and better at that. So I want to learn to train... 60 seconds of inhalation, 60 seconds of exhalation, and really learning to relax the musculature. It's like blowing up a balloon. I want to get big. Why? Why does that matter? Because that's the possible excursion of those muscles for some people. Again, maybe you can get 30, maybe you can get 40. Whatever you think you can get, I guarantee you can get more. I think this may be the single most important stretch that you're not doing the breathing excursion stretch, blow up your balloon. And so there's a device that I just purchased. I don't have it in front of me. I purchased it off of Amazon, like a breather. It adds tension to my breathing. I can dial up the tension that I breathe into and breathe out of. And that's actually been really useful for teaching me to forcefully use my diaphragm. So think of the diaphragm like a muscle. It can get stronger. It can get weaker if we don't use it. We don't, we don't, uh, we lose it ultimately. So training that diaphragm is just so important. And, you know, Brian McKenzie says that, and I 1000% agree, that the diaphragm is the most important muscle in the body. And I completely agree. So have you ever seen someone who loses their posture, start to slouch? Well, chairs, the modern chair is probably the single worst invention for our posture, for our, for our physical capability, certainly on our hips, certainly on our spine. We learn to just get, we get lazy, all our paraspinal muscles, just from the base of our skull to the base of our spine, start to become lazy because we're always leaning back into a chair. Those muscles lose their requirement. They lose their ability to hold us up. 
and ultimately start losing the, the ability to maintain that perfect erect posture. We start, because we're sitting in a chair and our hips aren't at 90 degrees, it's certainly not an external rotation. We start losing our ability to maintain hip function as well. So uh, if you want to improve your spinal uh, strength, your paraspinal musculature, and even your, your ability to use your diaphragm, one, stop slouching, two, start sitting on the floor. I have every intention of building a house in the future that has no chairs and no sofas. I just want everyone to sit on the floor. I'm going to make it stylish as hell, but I'm also going to have everybody sit on the floor. It's going to be, you know, what we'll say is like Japanese style sitting on the floor, maybe cushions, and we'll see. One of my, um, you know, friends, Kyle Kingsbury, actually does that, which I, Kyle, shout out to you, man. Your near, near, uh, place is awesome. And he's got, he's got kids who uh, just learn how to grow up in the most natural environment possible. Right? I bet they're going to be incredible athletes with incredibly developed bodies that are just so physically capable. They have every advantage over everyone else because everyone else is getting lazy sitting in the couch and sitting in a chair. And these kids are learning to properly use their bodies. They're sitting up erect while they're eating because they have to. Right? you are sitting on the floor, there's no slouching. Anyways, I don't want to beat a dead horse when it comes to breathing mechanics, but the point is breathing mechanics is at the top of a list of things that you should and must be doing. And it's not hard. When you sit at the dinner table, you sit at the breakfast table, sit up straight and don't use the back of the chair. When you sit on the couch, don't sit on the floor. Literally sit on the floor. Try to sit up erect. Try not to use the, the lean on. It's going to be hard at first for some people. Or you can sit uh, cross-legged. You can sit straight-legged. Just sitting upright. Use those paraspinal muscles to hold you upright. What you'll notice right away is if you start breathing down your diaphragm, you actually get taller posture starts getting better. Using that lower diaphragm actually extends that spine. This is something I do every time I sit. The first thing I'm going to do is actually just check my breathing. I'm trying to vertically align my spine. I want everything from kind of the top of my skull all the way down to my sacrum to be aligned. I want it to be a straight line like I'm meditating. And so moving on from breathing mechanics onto breathing biochemistry. And so uh, biochemistry is ultimately this interaction between uh, the inhalation of oxygen and the expiration of CO2, carbon dioxide, and how that interacts to influence uh, pH, acidity in the blood. So if you hear people talk about pH diets, those that's not a real thing because you're, the stomach acid is somewhere between, I think, 1 and 3.4, which is very acidic. So all the food that goes into your stomach is ultimately turning into this big acid chyme, this big acid stew, soup. And so to say that foods are alkalizing to your body is not correct. There may be some value in, in the minerals or the the um, cofactors and such that comes with the food, like chlorophyll and magnesium and potassium and all these amazing minerals that come in your food. And that could maybe have some remineralizing benefit in the blood, uh, certainly in the, the bones. Uh, but it's not alkalizing anything. So when I breathe in oxygen, I'm breathing oxygen into the lungs. It goes through the capillaries into my blood where my oxygen saturation is usually, for most healthy people, up around 98% anyways. The oxygen from the hemoglobin is going to be released into the cells for the production of energy. So we need oxygen from the environment to produce energy aerobically in the body. So we take food from the environment, 
mix it with oxygen, and we produce energy. We produce energy in the form of ATP, and we produce carbon dioxide and water as byproducts. So food literally comes into your system as carbon. Food is carbon, right? We're, we're, we're consuming these different proteins, more nitrogen, carbs, and fats are literally different um, shapes of carbon molecules. And so this carbon comes in and we excrete, we expire carbon, um, we exhale carbon, and this is really this carbon cycle. So carbon in, carbon out, and oxygen is the rate limiting factor. So all these things are massively shifting based on how much oxygen is coming in, how much oxygen gets into the cell, ultimately how quickly your body needs to produce ATP. So this is a big challenge for most people because most people's metabolism is not matching the demand of their life. And here's where Brian McKenzie put something together that was so brilliant. This is a post. I don't remember the day that he did this. It was somewhere around April 24th, 2023. He calls it the perceived threat versus no threat. My physiology is responding to a threat that isn't there. There's no metabolic need, but my mobilizing hormones and energy constantly anyways in the form of cortisol, stress hormones, adrenaline. The internal threat state is being driven, but it's not needed. My body is in a state of constant sympathetic drive. The evolutionary and biological threat should be followed by movement and exercise and then deep rest. Meaning evolutionary and biological threat, what does that mean? Well, if, if something's coming to kill me or I'm going to kill something or there's a hunt or stress evolutionarily would have been something very acute. I'm either going to fight, I'm going to run, or I'm going to kill something or, or attack be attacked, and then, which is ultimately mobilization and movement, and then I'm going to fall into deep rest or, or food. And as you can hear, all of those things are not current, right? Physiology is responding to a threat that isn't there. I'm driving in a car. I'm fighting with my partner. I'm watching something ridiculous on TV or social media. All those threats are not real, but our brain doesn't know that. Our bra brain's creating these systems and these states that are just driving huge amounts of energy production, huge amounts of stress response. So stress hormones drive energy production to mobilize more energy. Your body's in this loop of what Brian calls metabolic disconnection. So what is causing the threat? It's obviously worry, fear, and emotional states. And this is why exercise and movement is so important to our day. If you're someone who experiences stress ever, AKA everyone, you must learn to mobilize your stress. The body and mind are inextricably linked. So when I'm experiencing stress in my mind, the quickest evolutionary way out of it is not to think your way out of it. It's not even to meditate your way out of it. It's to move your way out of it, and breathe your way out of it. You'll know intuitively when you're under stress, your breathing muscles kind of get tight. Everybody just take a deep breath and let it out right now. You feel that relaxation, how you're letting things go? Well, imagine that on hypercharge, right? You're super tight because you're really stressed. Let it go. And when you live in this constant state of fight or flight, this high amount of perceived threat, Ultimately, you're going to start creating an autonomic dysfunction. You're going to start creating an hyper, an HPA axis that's just constantly driving 
sympathetic arousal. And this becomes this chronic state of cortisol belly, of constantly needing more calories because you feel so stressed. The calories tend to mute what you're feeling. They tend to calm down the cortisol response. And so ultimately, we're unable to control the psychosocial, psychophysiological response from stress. And so learning how to do that through the breath, you're controlling what the last pillar of breathing is, which is your cadence. Letting that muscular physiological stress go and allowing the energy production to decrease. So the energy demand in your body decreases, the cortisol can start to come down, the body can start to recover, rejuvenate, replenish. Now all of a sudden we can feel like we're ready to do the things we need to do instead of constantly feeling like we have to catch up. I got I to gotta do something, I got to do more to do, I got more to do, I got to drink more coffee, I got to take more stimulants because I don't have enough energy because I haven't been recovering. Do you see all these things tie in? So ultimately what's happening is my psychology, my mind, no longer understands what my physiology is saying. It's, there's, there's a disconnect. And this is ultimately uh, one of the number one causes of disease, right? These metabolic diseases, one thing is driving the, the, the production of energy. Your brain's like, I don't know what to do. So learning how to control it, ladies and gents, is uh, incredible. So thanks to Brian McKenzie for that uh, incredible amount of information. Again, if you're not already following Brian on Instagram, he's uh, hugely present there. I'm sure he's present on many, many other platforms. He's one of the people that I look up to most in this performance space. He's just always got such incredible insights. Um, so talking about the final pillar, while I didn't spend a huge amount of time on biochemistry, I gave you enough of a an overview. And the final pillar is cadence. So understanding cadence, ladies and gentlemen, is important. So when we think of Wim Hof, there's really one cadence, it's fast. Right? And he's trying to get you to become hypocapnic. So you're, when you're uh, breathing quickly, you're breathing off all of the CO2. So you're getting rid of carbon dioxide. So most people are like, well, that's a good thing. It's actually not a good thing. You're becoming hypocapnic, which means ultimately creating a slightly more alkaline environment in the body, which people are like, oh, that's great. Actually, it's not great. For long periods of time, they've actually been shown to be incredibly toxic. So... While it feels great, while we have these incredible transcendent states during Wim Hof, while we're also very physiologically capable of doing some incredible physical feats, it's only one way to breathe. And so this, this hypocapnic, which is low CO2 training, great, do it. One end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, I also want you to train hypercapnia, too much CO2, or in, in what would hyper ultimately meaning a high amount of CO2. And I don't think there is too much CO2 in the body, but trying to get to the place where you can accumulate carbon dioxide and tolerate high amounts of carbon dioxide, in my opinion, is one of the superpowers of performance. And what that ultimately means is if you could imagine if I if I started walking upstairs or if I started squatting or started doing something physically demanding the amount of energy production goes up in my body because I'm asking my body to do more. As a byproduct of energy production is carbon dioxide and water. So my body starts releasing more CO2. 
into the bloodstream. And as I accumulate carbon dioxide, the response is ultimately increasing my respiration rate and increasing my heart rate so I can get more of the CO2 out. And if I have this higher ability to tolerate carbon dioxide, my body doesn't respond as quickly. It takes a little bit longer for my body to respond by driving up the heart rate, by driving up the breathing rate. That means I can do more exercise at a lower perceived exertion. I can do basic daily stuff, even fairly challenging stuff, and my body is not going to shift into an adaptation as far as increased heart rate, increased respiration rate. Why do I want that? Ultimately, I can do harder things with a lower perceived exertion. This, my friends, is a superpower. And so how do we train hypercapnia? We train hypercapnia by doing breath holds, by literally training our ability to retain carbon dioxide. You can do something called a carbon dioxide tolerance test, which you can find on Brian McKenzie's uh, page. You can also find it on the Oxygen Advantage, which is Patrick McEwen. The two, him, those two, and Peter Litchfield, by far the three most uh, prominent figures in the breathing space. Nobody else compares. These are the guys not only doing the work, but doing the research and putting the rubber uh, where the rubber meets the road. Patrick McEwen's got a new podcast now, actually, with a friend of mine, Jay Wiles. Um, I believe it's called the Hanu Podcast or Hanu Health. Uh, they've released a new wearable, which I think is doing very, very well. So uh, shout out to Jay Wiles and Hanu Health, H-A-N-U. Check that thing out. Um, and shout out to Patrick McEwen for just truly being uh, an incredible giving man. He just wants to help people. I've taken his course. I think I've taken it twice. I took it once a person, one online. And it's just like so much value. It's just mind-blowing how much you learn. And he's he's so caught up on the research that uh, it's hard to keep up, which I love. So coming back to this cadence piece, if I'm breathing really fast, creating this hypo hypocaffeinic state, the absence of, of CO2, you're going to have some of these Wim Hof style benefits where you're increasing performance. Maybe you're feeling a little bit, a little bit dizzy, a little bit, people will say transcendent states. Maybe you're able to, to some of the, the people who live on the kind of the spiritual side, which I, I do as well, uh, have what they'll say is like the ability to pass the conscious mind, the ability to, to move past the conscious mind and get into some emotional things that you've been really holding on to. It's, it's fun. I, I suggest you try it. And the other side in the performance realm is the hypercapnia, where we want to learn to retain CO2 to ultimately use that as a lever. Now, how I use that specifically before every workout, I'll do some hypercapnic training. Um, we're trying to get our CO2 tolerance as high as we possibly can. And and the goal here is, is kind of towing the line of, I want to push really hard into holding my breath and not pass out. So always be careful. Do it and never do this around water or pool or the ocean, I think, guys. If you're doing it somewhere, make sure it's somewhere where you're not going to fall down. You're not going to hit your head if you pass out. If your CO2 levels, or sorry, excuse me, if your oxygen levels drop too low because you're holding your breath, while CO2 is going up, which is great, if, if oxygen levels drop too low, sometimes people do pass out. So just be always cautious and, and uh, aware of this reality that, hey, it's possible that um, you could pass out. So be careful and um, you'll get better at it. It take, In the beginning, it's very uncomfortable. It's, it, you know, so you're literally like inducing basically you're basically stopping your air, right? You're, you're stopping air from from exchanging and your, your body's going to do some semblance of panic or anxiety or overwhelm. You're basically suffocating yourself acutely. It's completely safe. You're not going to cause any brain damage. Uh, if you're going to go hardcore on this, wear a pulse oximeter. And if you're dropping below 
believe it's like 50% blood oxygen, you should stop. You probably won't get there though. Most of you won't get below 75, but it's worth um, exploring and, and messing around with. I use the pulse oximeter if I'm going to do it just because sometimes we want to push hard, see how hard we can push. Ladies and gents, I'm, I'm, I'm going out a long time. Hopefully we provide some value for you today in understanding all the potential opportunities that exist within breathing well beyond what people are just hearing around Hey, let's do the let's do this one type of breathing. Let's do these this one type of spiritual quote unquote type breathing. I'm, I'm looking at a 34 page course that I built, um, which I won't start reading. Oh gosh, there's so much in here about the shape and structure of the nasal cavity and jaw and its influence on breathing. This is a Gordon Peter Litchfield. Bad breathing is when learned breathing behavior disturbs the proper regulation of CO2 allocation. As Dr. Peter Litchfield. Got so many great quotes in here. Breathing is a behavior, Peter Litchfield. Um, if you haven't already listened to the Muscle Intelligence podcast with Peter Litchfield, go ahead and do that. Um, Brian, or sorry, Patrick McEwen says the single biggest problem in the human species is overbreathing, and I believe that also is Peter Litchfield talk. And then here, there's a CO2 tolerance test, which I won't share with you. But if you guys actually want, I can put this in the show notes. Um, the effect of CO2 tolerance on anxiety and panic disorders. This is another podcast I did with Justin Feinstein. If you have if you have anxiety and panic disorder, let's check out my podcast with Justin Feinstein, incredible podcast. So we talk about inhale emphasis, emphasize, emphasize breathing, exhale emphasize breathing. So much. If you guys want to get access to this course, you head over to muscleintelligence.com slash community and join the community there in time, not immediately, but in time. I will make you aware when this course becomes available. I'm currently in the process of launching a new program that I'm calling phase one. And what phase one is, is that whether you're new to this community or if you've been in this community for 20 years, whether you've been training for 20 years or more, or you're new to training, there's a certain foundational capability that all men must have, women too, but, but specific to men, that will allow you to ultimately live a life without restriction. One of the things that I aspire to as a man is a life of freedom, and not just freedom financially, not just freedom geographically, but freedom physically. Imagine being constrained in your own body. Imagine not being able to do the things you want to do, right? So if you were 10, 16, 20, you wouldn't have to think first before you got up and did something. You're like, I want to play basketball? Yes. You want to go swimming? Yes. Do you want to play volleyball? Yes. Want to go for a run? Yes. But as we get older, you're like, that's so sure my goal is as I age, I'm now 42, is as I age, I, I don't want to lose physical capability. I not only want to maintain it, but I want to get better. I want to increase the uh, diversity of my physical capacity. And I always talk about physical capacity being directional in nature because I could be really strong, but really slow. I could be really mobile, but really lacking muscle. I could be really athletic, but really weak. And so we want to have all these different dimensions of masculinity, of, of the standard of highly capable men, and ultimately the standard of health, the standard of physical capability, standard of metabolic capability is something we should maintain for ourselves. We establish these standards and we say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I always want to be able to squat 400 pounds. That's my goal. I always want to be able to deadlift 500 pounds. That's my goal. I always want to be able to, to bench press 225 for 10, 15 reps, right? That's my goal. And that may not be the same for you, but there's some physical standard out there that should meet uh, your, sh should be your criteria of physical capability. 
And that's what we're ultimately building in this program. You can compare yourself against yourself. You can compare yourself against other people your age, other peers. And ultimately, we can keep each other uh, pushing hard and highly accountable. Gents, ladies, thanks for being here. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Organifi. I continue to use their products. I think it's been six years now, something like that. I like to use greens on a daily basis. I mix in my reds. If you're not already using a high-quality greens product, head over to Organifi.com right now and use their incredible greens product. It's a blend of superfoods, all organic, tastes just delicious. And when you add in a REDS formula, gents, you're getting what you need to support nitric oxide production, ultimately help your heart work effectively, your vascular system work effectively, ultimately can help erectile function as well. Not already using the REDS and the greens, go do that now, Organifi.com, and use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off. And while you're over there, you can check out their incredible vegan protein as well. They have an incredible Organifi Gold and so many other amazing products that you should absolutely check out for yourself and your family. Keep yourself healthy. Take care of yourself. Let's all work hard together and maintain the standard of excellence across the world. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.